Welcome to Puritans Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Today, episode two of The Almost Christian Discovered by Matthew Mead. Three things to help weak believers. Before I handle the doctrine, I must premise three things which are of great use for the establishing of weak believers that they may not be shaken and discouraged by this doctrine. Number one, there is nothing in the doctrine that should be a matter of stumbling or discouragement to weak Christians. The gospel does not speak these things to wound believers, but to awaken sinners and formal professors. As there are none more averse than weak believers to apply the promises and comforts of the gospel to themselves, for whom they are properly designed, so there are none more ready than they to apply the threats and severest things of the word to themselves, for whom they were never intended. As the disciples, when Christ told them, One of you shall betray me, they that were innocent suspected themselves most, and therefore cried out, Master, is it I? So weak Christians, when they hear sinners reproved, or the hypocrite laid open in the ministry of the word, immediately cry out, Is it I? It is the hypocrite's fault to sit under the trials and discoveries of the world, and yet not to mind them. And it is the weak Christian's fault to draw sad conclusions of their own state from premises which do not concern them. There is indeed great use of such a doctrine as this to all believers, to make them look to their standing upon what foundation they are, and to see that the foundation of their hope be well laid, so that they build not upon the sand, but upon a rock. It helps to raise our admiration of the distinguishing love of God in bringing us into the way everlasting, when so many perish from the way, and in ever powering our souls into a true conversion, when so many take up with a graceless profession. It incites to that excellent duty of heart-searching so that we may approve ourselves to God in sincerity. It engages the soul in double diligence that it may be found not only believing, but persevering in faith to the end. These duties, and such as these, make this doctrine of use to all believers, but they ought not to make use of it as a stumbling block in the way of their peace and comfort. My design in preaching on this subject is not to make sad the souls of those whom Christ 
will not have made sad. I would bring water, not to quench the flax that is smoking, but to put out that false fire that is of the sinner's own kindling, lest, walking all his days by the light thereof, he shall at last lie down in sorrow. My aim is to level the mountain of the sinner's confidence, not to weaken the hand of the believer's faith and dependence, to awake it and bring in secure, formal sinners, not to discourage weak believers. Number two, I would premise this, though many may go far, very far, in the way to heaven and yet fall short, yet that soul which has the least true grace shall never fall short. The righteous shall hold on his way. Though some may do much in a way of duty, as I will show hereafter, and yet miscarry, yet that soul which does duty with the least sincerity shall never miscarry, for he saveth the upright in heart. The least measure of true grace is as saving as the greatest. It saves us surely, though not as comfortably. The least grace gives a full interest in the blood of Christ, whereby we are thoroughly purged, and it gives a full interest in the strength and power of Christ, whereby we shall be certainly preserved. Christ keeps faith in the soul, and faith keeps the soul in Christ, and so we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Number three, I would premise this. They who can hear such truths as this without serious reflection and self-examination, I must suspect the goodness of their condition. You will suspect that man to be next door to bankrupt who never casts up his accounts nor looks over his books. And I as verily think that man a hypocrite who never searches nor deals with his own heart. He who goes on in a road of duties without any uneasiness or doubting of his state, I doubt no man's state more than his. When we see a man sick and yet not sensible, we conclude the tokens of death are upon him. So, when sinners have no sense of their spiritual condition, it is plain that they are dead in sin. The tokens of eternal death are upon them. These things being premised, which I desire you would carry along in your mind while we travel through this subject, I come to speak to the proposition more distinctly and closely. Doctrine. There are very many in the world who are almost and yet but almost Christians. 
I shall demonstrate the truth of the proposition and then proceed to a more distant prosecution. Roman numeral one. I shall demonstrate the truth of the proposition and I shall do it by scripture evidence which speaks plainly and fully to the case. Proof one. The young man in the gospel is an eminent proof of this truth. There you read of one who came to Christ to learn of him the way to heaven. Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Our Lord Christ tells him, If thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And when Christ tells him which he answers, Lord, all these I have kept from my youth up, what lack I yet? Now, see how far this man went. Number one, he obeyed. He not only heard the commands of God, but he kept them. Now, the scripture says, Blessed is he that hears the word of God and keeps it. Number two, he obeyed universally. Not this or that command, but both this and that. He did not have it with God or pick and choose, which were easiest to be done and leave the rest. No, but he obeys all. All these things I have kept. Number three, he obeyed constantly. Not in a fit of zeal only, but in a continual series of duty. His goodness was not as Ephraim's, like the morning dew that passes away. No, all these things have I kept from my youth up. Number four, he professed his desire to know and do more, to perfect that which was lacking of his obedience, and therefore he goes to Christ to instruct him in his duty. Master, what lack I yet? Now would you not think this is a good man? Alas, how few go thus far, and yet, as far as he went, he went not far enough. He was almost, and yet, but almost, a Christian, for he was an unsound hypocrite. He forsook Christ at last and cleaved to his lust. This, then, is a full proof of the truth of the doctrine. Proof two. A second proof of it is that of the parable of the virgins in St. Matthew. See what a progress they make, how far they go in a profession of Christ. Number one, they are called virgins. Now, this is a name given in the scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New, to the saints of Christ. The virgins love thee. So, in the Revelation, the 140 and 4,000 that stood with the Lamb on Mount Zion are called virgins. They are called virgins because they are not defiled with the corruptions that are in the world through lust. Now, these here seem to be of that sort, for they are called virgins. Number two, they take their lamps. That is, they make a profession of Christ. Number three, they had some kind of oil in their lamps. They had some convictions and some faith, though not the faith of God's elect, to keep their professions alive, to keep the lamp 
burning. Number four, they went. Their profession was not an idle profession. They performed duties, frequented ordinances, and did many things commanded. They made a progress. They went. Number five, they went forth. They went and went out. They left many behind them. This speaks of their separation from the world. Number six, they went with the wise virgins. They joined themselves to those who had joined themselves to the Lord and were companions of them who were companions of Christ. Number seven, they went forth to meet the bridegroom. This speaks of their owning and seeking after Christ. Number eight, when they heard the cry of the bridegroom coming, they arose and trimmed their lamps. They professed Christ more highly, hoping now to go in with the bridegroom. Number nine, they sought for true grace. Now, do not we say that the desires of grace are grace, and so they are, if true and timely, if sound and seasonable? Why, here is a desire of grace in these virgins. Give us of your oil. It was a desire of true grace, but it was not a true desire of grace. It was not true because not timely. Unsound as being unseasonable, it was too late. Their folly was in not taking oil when they took their lamps. Their time of seeking grace was when they came to Christ. It was too late to seek it when Christ came to them. They should have sought for that when they took up their profession. It was too late to seek it at the coming of the bridegroom. And therefore, they were shut out. And though they cried for entrance, Lord, Lord, open to us. Yet the Lord Christ told them, I know you not. You see how far these virgins go in a profession of Jesus Christ and how long they continue in it, even till the bridegroom came. They go to the very door of heaven and there, like the Sodomites, perish with their hands upon the very threshold of glory. They were almost Christians, and yet, but almost, almost saved, and yet, they perished. You who are professors of the gospel of Christ, stand and tremble. If they who have gone beyond us fall short of heaven, what shall become of us who fall short of them? If they who are virgins, who profess Christ, who have some faith in their profession, such as it is, who have some fruit in their faith, who outstrip others who seek Christ, who improve their profession and suit themselves to their profession, nay, who seek grace, if such as these are but almost Christians, Lord, what are we? This concludes episode two of The Almost Christian Discovered by Matthew Mead.